الحمد لله الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا قيما لينذر بأسا شديدا من لدن ويبشر المؤمنين الذين يعملون الصالحات أن لهم أجرا حسنا ماكثين فيه أبدا وينذر الذين قالوا اتخذ الله ولدا ما لهم به من علم ولا لآبائهم كبر كلمة تخرج من أفواههم إن يقولون إلا كذبا فلعلك باخع نفسك على آثارهم إن لم يؤمنوا بهذا الحديث أسفا وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد وإليه المصير وأشهد أن سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله أرسله الله تعالى بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا وداعيا إلى الله بإذنه وسراجا منيرا فهو الرحمة المهداء والنعمة المصداء والسراج المنير اللهم صل وسلم وبارك عليه وعلى آله الأطهار وأصحابه الأخيار ومن اتبع سنته وسار على نهجه إلى يوم الدين أما بعد فيا أيها الإخوة المؤمنون سلام الله تعالى عليكم ورحمته وبركاته قال الله تبارك وتعالى في القرآن الكريم أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله والتمر نفس ما قدمت لغاد صدق الله العظيم الله سبحانه وتعالى says O oh you who have iman fear Allah and let each soul look to what it has put forward until the morrow. This is a commandment, fear Allah, and linked to it really the inevitable consequence, that which proves that the fear is real rather than just a, an easy claim, is that we should look to that which we are putting forward until the morrow. What does this mean? Well, the ghad. Uh, alarming, imminent word, tomorrow, because it's close, is of course the end, the end of all things, the one who is capable of bringing everything, and what on everything, out of nothingness, is capable of bringing all of that everything back together again and doing with it what he pleases. This is not difficult for him. We cannot know it with the mind, but it is prophesied in Revelation that there will be a day, a tomorrow, when things are not as they currently are, when our comfort zone of expectations, of cause and effect, and our uh, preciously laid plans will come to nothing because the clocks will stop and things will be otherwise. A difference that even the physicists could scarcely dream of. This is within his power, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the ayah is saying, let each soul, the center of us, the core, whatever there is that is of real value of us, that which will see that tomorrow and live beyond that tomorrow, let it look to the things which it is pushing forward, projecting, sending into the future, our actions which are like time capsules, which one day will be opened and read on that day when we can do nothing about what they contain. Let's look. Let each soul look to what it is pushing forward. And this is why the quality of the believer is a quality of attentiveness. Because everything is meaningful. Everything is under the divine scrutiny. 
And everything is in its own way magnificent because it partakes in the human way in the magnificence of Allah's creation. His creation, subhanAllah, nothing more magnificent could be imagined. The more they see through the microscopes and the telescopes and the more they conjecture and the more the frontiers of mathematics are pushed outwards, the more humanity should be saying, subhanAllah, there is a lot there. But what really matters, what is significant, that on which the divine regard rests is the nafs, the human soul, that one poor faint flickering thing within each one of us that is different, consciousness, not like anything else in the material world, subject to different rules and accountable. Nothing else in creation is accountable, but this strange thing called consciousness is accountable. And hence, religion is about this virtue that we call muhasaba, that is to say, accounting. It's a kind of accountancy of the soul. Scrutinizing the books of your actions and your intentions, even harder, just to make sure that you're not dishonest, that you're not crooked. And that in the end, inshallah, on that great tomorrow, you may even show a profit rather than a loss. This is muhasaba, and this is the essence of what it is to be fully conscious. Not just to be looking around as an animal might and following certain impulses into the material stuff of the world. Not to be led by instinct, but to be led by something that is moral. And therefore that partakes in qualities whose source and origin and meaning are ultimately in the divine. Compassion and justice and forgiveness and gentleness and all of those beautiful qualities, those fada'il, those virtues, they're not part of the fabric of created stuff at all. They are to do with the miracle of consciousness, and they're to do with the moral life. Sidna Omar, radiallahu anhu, we think of him as a tough man, and given the situation he was in, he needed to be tough. But every day at the end of the day, he would come back with his famous stick, and he would use his stick to prod and to hit his own feet. People used to observe him sometimes doing this, and of course what he was doing was that he was reproaching and calling to account his own feet and asking what they had done that day. Had they been walking to something that would lead to the flowering of his soul and the flowering of the souls of others, or was it for some idle pastime? So his muhasaba was against himself. He was a man of hisba, making sure that the scales were not crooked in the marketplace making sure that the poor and the weak and the orphans were properly fed, making sure, making sure, one of history's great rulers, but before all of that, his hesper was about himself. And that is what makes a great leader, self-awareness. <laughs> Following impulse, whether it's the impulse of a lion or a sheep, is not the way to be a leader. The way to be a leader is to be the leader of oneself and of those animals that dwell within. So he is the one who used to say, this was a favorite of his in his khutbas. Call yourselves to account before you are called to account. And weigh your souls before they themselves are weighed. He also was a man immensely conscious of that imminent tomorrow, that vad of which he was so afraid that he used to say, if only I were a leaf on that tree. So fearful was he of the divine scrutiny, the divine regard, the divine judgment, and the divine anger. 
radiallahu anhu wa arda. So this is a principle that has become normal, and it is a principle that is at the basis of actually fully being conscious. Consciousness is something that can be veiled and occluded. We can sink to the level of the animals. To the extent that we allow the animal within us to lead us on, we're not fully conscious. We are at the level of a pig or a dog or a monkey if we act in those ways. But the believer has to learn to be, as it were, a zoologist. There is an interest in looking at the lower self and in looking at the, its habits and its tricks and its games. So the zoologist of the soul looks inside the lower self and sees, aha, there is a pig and I know its feeding habits and I know how to control it. And the zoologist of the soul looks within and says, ah, there's a dog and I know its bad qualities and its capacity to bite people and its cowardice. I know how to control it. There is a monkey jumping around and making a fool of itself. I know how to control it. And thus we should be. We should be psychologists of ourselves. We should be the ones who understand ourselves better than anybody because we've spent more time with ourselves than any psychologist ever will. We should be able to understand. We don't have the self-knowledge. We will just be led by that pig or that monkey or that donkey or whatever other lower possibility there is within and we all know that we have a zoo within our souls. And that's the choice. But to the extent that we're like that, our minds are like that. But we are not made for that. We were made for something higher. Made to recall the day of Alastu Birabbikum. The animals weren't. Animals weren't present. The Quran doesn't say anything about the animals being there, but we all said, the descendants of Adam, Bala Shahidna, yes, we bear witness. And because of that extraordinary privilege that we could look out and understand and take decisions and be masters of, of creation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has at the end of time, ensured that this consciousness will receive its just consequence, which is judgment. Morality is significant. Just as consciousness is a miracle, the only thing within us worth anything, a precious jewel in the mud, so if we abuse that consciousness, then there will be consequence from the one who bestowed it upon us. And don't think that he is not paying attention. So the believer is the one who has this virtue of muraqaba, scrutiny. Vigilance. To the extent that he's aware and he's really a believer, he knows Allah is watching him and that has an effect on how he is. And to the extent that he is like that, he's going to look at himself to make sure that he's not behaving like a monkey or a dog and that he's giving other people their due and behaving like a noble human being. So the raqaba leads to the muhasaba. The Holy Prophet linked this to the practice of self accusation. And the revelation right at the beginning announces to the amazed Arabs that this is a phenomenon of creation by which even the Lord of creation can swear in one of those great oaths. La wa la uqsimu bin nafsin lawama. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, having sworn by so many amazing things in creation, the sun and the moon and all of the wonders, I swear by the reproachful self. Because that's the miracle. A nafs al-ammara is not really a miracle, that's just part of a kind of Darwinian um, selfish gene, but the soul that reproaches the guilty conscience, the awareness of the rights of others, and the difference between noble and ignoble actions, that's something different. And that is worthy of the divine, subhanahu wa ta'ala, actually making an oath by it. And al-Hassan al-Basri, radiallahu anhu, used to love this ayah, 
and used to remind people that this is the basis of the practice of Mohasava. And the basis of Mohasava is that you should, first of all, call yourself to account before calling others to account. And this was part of his way of spirituality. Human nature likes to judge others. There's something about our eyes that spot faults more quickly than we spot virtues. Perhaps because it gives us a sense that we're not so bad after all if we see other people who don't look so great, or who are overeating, or who are backbiting, or who are lazy in their prayers, or whatever it might mean. It gives a certain ease to the nafs, and so we crave by our lower nature to see those things. And we like to judge others. We like to usurp the divine quality of al-hakam, al-adl, the arbitrator, the one of justice. We like to be a bit like that ourselves. But al-Hasan al-Basri is saying, ah, if you have this nafs lawama, the soul that blames, that reproaches within you, the sign that you really are at that stage is that first of all, you look at yourself and you notice your own faults. And without this, there can be no istighfar and there can be no tawbah. Unless you're aware of your own faults, you can't make istighfar, and this is a commandment, a divine commandment. The ulama wonder why it is that the Holy Prophet وسلم, said, Inni la astaghfirullaha fi kulli yawmin wa layla mi'atamarra. I seek my Lord's forgiveness every day and night a hundred times. Why, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had forgiven him, ma taqaddama min dhanbika wa ma ta'akhar, your former and forthcoming sins, and he was ma'asum, divinely secured from, from wrongdoing. Why does he make istighfar? Why is a man of istighfar? And the ulama link this to the quality of his soul. Unless we have this capacity for self-blame, we're not really mukallaf. We're not really divinely, uh, not really aware of the divine yoke which has been placed upon us, which is the moral life. Unless you blame yourself, even for things that you haven't really done, you can't really make istighfar. And this is the basis of it. That he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was constantly talking to himself about himself, constantly investigating his own motivations, despite the fact that he knew that he was a man of salvation and that he was the best of creation and who could speak to the greatest angel, despite that, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Why? Because that's part of what it is to have a healthy soul, part of what it is to be humble. The arrogant man, the tyrant, Fir'aun, Abu Jahl, uh, Nimrud, they didn't say astaghfirullah because uh, it's not part of their self-awareness. The pharaonic soul is not self-aware. The pharaonic soul is in the grip of one of those lower animals or a consortium of a whole lot of them, but it's not, it's not uh, self-aware. So istighfar in this perspective is actually what it is to be self-aware. It's what nowadays some people in a secular context might call mindfulness. We hear a lot of this because people are so stressed and busy with things that they become discombobulated and aren't focused. Um, so there are these techniques that originate in forms of Japanese Buddhism called mindfulness, and they are helpful. There's nothing particularly wrong about them, but they don't have this moral dimension. They're not really about how can I actually do better at business and sort out family issues. Uh, istighfar means there's a moral uh, priority, and there is an ultimate judgment. And that's very different, and that makes it much more real. It's not just about uh, something new on your CV or becoming more productive at work. 
or getting on with your colleagues, no, it's about becoming a more noble human being. The modern world doesn't have much to do with that word. It doesn't really know what it's about. Karamna bani Adam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he's ennobled the descendants of Adam, but we don't hear much about nobility nowadays. Sometimes human dignity, and that's fine, but nobility is something different. Nobility is what happens when we leave behind the nafs amara, the ego that's always commanding evil and wants to be just like the animals, or worse, because it's not actually meant for that, but that's what it chooses, and becomes the nafs lawama, the soul of blame, soul which has this conscience, something deep-rooted in human beings that no other order of creation can have. The philosopher Immanuel Kant says, two things throughout my life have continued to amaze me. The beauty of the laws of nature and the beauty of the moral law within me. Something deep-rooted inside us that has a sense that virtue is noble and that following the lower self is something disgusting. This is an axiom and this is part of the fitra. This is how we would say it. So we move from the lowest state of being just yeah. in the zoo to this state of reproach. And then there's the possibility of rising up to a nefsu inna, the soul which is at peace, tranquil, calm, accepting the divine wisdom. And that's the more difficult thing. But that ascent is the process of no longer being like one of those lower animals in your zoo, but being something noble. And the modern world can't deal with that. There's the famous story uh, in uh, Maulana Rumi of the uh, eagle that is caught in a trap by an old woman. The old woman's a farmer, peasant woman. She's never seen an eagle before. She just knows about chickens. And she feels very sorry for this eagle because it's the wrong shape. Its beak is much too big. And its claws look strange. And its wings are ridiculously long. So what does she do? Out of her compassion, given the limitations of her culture, maybe she's thinking about the rights of this bird to be like everybody else according to her expectations and her cultural conditioning. So she gets a pair of big scissors and she snips and snips and snips until it looks a bit more like a chicken. And then she said, now you look the way you ought to be. The modern world often can do this because it has a certain profane way of being citizens that is ultimately not about transcending self and about the virtues and about being noble and about spreading one's wings and flying in Allah's heaven and thinking about the tomorrow that will certainly come but it's about getting along with each other in the battery farm of the modern capitalist system and producing eggs regularly and not pecking the other chickens and ultimately you die and you get made into cat food and the process goes on and there's no higher aspiration <coughs> There is nothing higher, because they've lost sight of all of that. Because they're so preoccupied with you know, feeding all of the other chickens, that that's all that there is. And this is a tragedy. And it means a lot of people are just left at the level of the zoological. And that so much money is made out of encouraging people to behave like dogs or like pigs, and sometimes even the role models in music, and the mass media and film, are kind of horrific people who are famous for consistently making wrong moral choices, but these are the people who we now focus on, where in earlier generations we would have focused on the awliya and the great heroes and the great kings and people who had nobility. And this is something that we need to beware of. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us people of nobility, to make us people in whom the beautiful ayah, karamna bani Adam, has actually come to pass, to make us people of muhasaba, who consider what we're doing before we do things, 
who look to the day that is to come constantly and who at the end of each earthly day consider what they've been doing like Sayyidina Omar and are sorry if they've missed opportunities if they've broken hearts if they've been lazy if they've been gluttonous if they've been stupid so that we are self-aware and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, breathe his mercy upon this ummah inshallah and to restore it to its rightful position aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullaha li wa lakum wa li sa'iril muslimin innahu huwa al-ghafurur rahim alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin wa li al-muttaqina nakalil zalimin ashhadu an la ilaha illallah al-malikul haqqul mubin muhammadur rasulullah sadiqul wa'dil amin أوصيكم ونفسي بتقوى الله فإنه خير الزاد وإياكم محدثات الأمور فكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار واعلموا أن الله قد أمركم بأمر عظيم أمركم بالصلاة والسلام على خاتم الأنبياء والمرسلين فقال جل ثناؤه إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد وبارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم إنا نسلك رضاك والجنة ونعوذ بك من سختك والنار ربنا لا تزق قلوبنا بعد إذ هديتنا وحب لنا من لدنك رحمة إنك أنت الوهاب اللهم إنا عبادك وبنو عبادك وبنو إمائك ماض فينا حكمك عدل فينا قضاءك نسألك بكل اسم هو لك سميت به نفسك أو أنزلته في كتابك أو علمته أحدا من خلقك أو استأثرت به في علم الغيب عندك أن تجعل القرآن العظيم ربيع قلوبنا وجلاء أحزاننا وذهاب همنا وغمنا وأن تجعل الحياة زيادة لنا من كل خير وأن تجعل الموت راحة لنا من كل شر برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين ووافق اللهم ولاة أمور المسلمين إلى العمل بكتاب الله وصنة خاتم الأنبياء والمرسلين عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعزكم لعلكم تذكرون أذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم وادعوه يستجيب لكم ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة